Hey there. Hello. I have breaking cat news. I was hoping you would do that. <laughs> All right. I know our listeners have been waiting with bated breath to know who won the cutest cat contest between both of our households. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty much why they tuned in today. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Okay, we had five cats on the ballot, starting in at fifth place. Your wife's not going to like this one. It was seven. Oh, seven. Sorry. Yeah, she's she's very cute, but she's also difficult. <laughs> well, no one knew that right. from the picture. But... No one would know that from the picture, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Next in fourth place is Luna. Oh, Luna. I thought she would have a better showing. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, me too. It's Here's okay. the thing, though. I can't win them technically, all. Technically, that should be second place because we have a three-way tie, people. Whoa. Eris, Remy, Danjan all had six votes each. That's crazy. I know. So on Instagram, Eris took the lead, but Twitter, Remy and Danjan showed up. So is this like indicative of their personalities in some way? Like they are Twitter... You know, mm, Remy and yeah, Danjan are Twitter bros, and <laughs> they do Eris the discourse. Is an Instagram girl. Yeah, she's an influencer. Yeah, yeah, you know? um, could be it. <laughs> I, if you put Eris next to like a latte or something, that would get a lot of likes. There you go. Perfect. All right, <laughs> we got a lot to get through today, Wait. but that was cat talk. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you want to learn about today? I want to learn about. That cool-looking guy on the t-shirts, Che Guevara. All right, Che Guevara. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah, as you, as everyone knows, he's the guy on the iconic t-shirts or posters. You, there's the very famous photograph, uh, Guerrero Heroico, mm. by Alberto Corda, which was taken on uh, March fifth, nineteen sixty, in the midst of the of the early Cuban government. So I did some reading on this guy. Yeah. He's very cool, don't get me wrong. But do you think part of the appeal is also that he's, like, pretty hot? Who, Che? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's, like, a, you know, he's a dashing rogue sort of figure. Exactly, yeah. If he were real ugly looking, it would be different. Yeah. So, all right. Um, that's who we're talking about. <laughs> che Guevara. Hottie revolutionary. Yes. Over so a, a couple of notes, I guess, to start us out with. Um, one. Sure. We're gonna be we're gonna try to be real brief because there's this is gonna be like one of those topic generator episodes where we're gonna you know frequently be saying that we might do a future episode on this like because because <laughs> there's so many things this this will span a lot yeah the way we kind of broke this up is I I covered a little bit of his early life and then I wrote questions and a lot of my questions were like this is a big question <laughs> so yeah definitely yeah so if we get out into the weeds too much you know hey bear with us uh, we'll also. We'll try to be, um, we'll try to be fair in our assessment here overall, like of events and how things play out. We're going to be trying to cut through what a lot of you guys will probably be familiar with, sort of anti-communist propaganda from the United States or from, you know, Batista apologists in, you know, mm-hmm. kind of Cuban exile community sort of thing. But we're also going to try to honestly evaluate Che Guevara and his movements in terms of, you know, their actions and stuff. Without really shying away. He did some shit. Yeah, without shying away from things that are like less savory. We will try not to be apologists ourselves. Okay. I mean, that said, like, 
we're communists, you know, we're not going to present <laughs> things in a way that's like, dude, turns out communism sucks. Podcast over. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, we've also got like biases from being Americans. You know, we both grew mm-hmm. up in the United States. We come from kind of a liberal political tradition, basically. So, um, you know, when we are evaluating things and being critical of things, it it's kind of hard. We, you know, we don't know what it was like to live under the regime that they were fighting against, or we don't have experience with dictatorships or revolution or poverty or imperialist oppression, like directly, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be easier for us to criticize at certain points and be like, man, you shouldn't have done that. Like that was mean (laughs) when, you know, it's, it's really hard for us to understand the situation that they're in. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't think that that should be like excusing anything, but I guess it's kind of a thing to keep in mind, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, we just do not understand the circumstances. And, like, the and we're trying to understand the historical context, but there was also, like, fucking years of oppression and shit going on. Yeah, and I guess another thing is we're not trying to figure out whether Che Guevara should be your infallible hero. Spoiler, <laughs> we don't like those. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler, you should not have infallible heroes. No, don't no have one. those. Just everyone fails sometimes big deal you know like they'll do some good they'll do some bad i can be your hero like the song (laughs) uh all right so with that out of the way christine you want to lead us into che guevara's early life yes okay che guevara born 1928 died 1967 age 39 i picture this as the first slide of my powerpoint (laughs) (laughs) you're doing good so far classic history uh Born and died. Wonderful. Uh-huh. And then I'm going to do a star wipe. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Getting into his early life. Um, he was born in Rosario, Argentina. He's the oldest of five children. Um, he was born as Ernesto Guevara. Um, he grew up in a fairly, I don't know if it was straight up leftist, but a pretty cool house. Um, his, his dad would host veterans from the Spanish Civil War in their home. Um, he was a staunch Republican. Um, so he kind of grew up around that, those kind of ideas. Interesting. Yeah. So it's maybe an early influence in the right direction. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And reminder, the Republicans were the good guys in this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. He was also a big nerd. Oh. He was into all kinds of nerd shit, uh, chess, poetry, reading, including some marks. He uh, he also took notes on everything he read and like wow. got very like philosophical about it and like yeah it's, can you imagine that's <laughs> that's wild that is I think that would be maybe a, a a function of his upbringing in kind of an upper middle class situation right mm-hmm. I mean they had a big library or something wasn't it that they had yeah they had a ton of books there so uh, you know he kind of had that early exposure I guess and the chance to do all that instead of like working in a field or something yeah yeah big nerd loved school basically loved every subject uh this is a horrifying quote from a declassified cia uh personality report from 1958 (laughs) yeah and it said quote shay is fairly intellectual for a latino oh all right man (laughs) (laughs) pretty good you know and they were racists (laughs) 
They were straight racist. Uh, that's not okay. as surprising as it should be. What else? He struggled with, he. well, he had asthma, right? That was another mm-hmm, thing yeah. kind of growing up. Yeah, that's something that kind of comes up throughout his biography. Like, it, it's kind of sad. Like, he's trying to do all this heroic shit, and then he's like, oh, shit, I got asthma. I got mm-hmm. to rest. Yeah, one of the... Uh, one of the films I watched to prepare for this was Che, the um, 2008 film um, mm. and with Benicio del Toro in it. And so mm-hmm. they, they kind of, that's constantly there is, you know, he'll be doing all this guerrilla shit and then just be like wheezing and stuff. And <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That would suck. All right. Um, the next kind of big thing that happens in his life is, uh, he goes to study medicine at the University of Buenos Aires. But he takes some breaks, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I did not take a 2,800-mile motorcycle trip during my college career. No, that would be cool, though. You're, like, sitting on the Easy Rider, big, huge, you know, <laughs> Harley or whatever, riding around. It is, it is not that. It is a bicycle that he attached an engine to. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> I so, mean, that's yeah. cool, but a lot less cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Just, I'm just picturing like put, put, putting yeah. down the roads. Uh, so, yeah, he made two big motorcycle trips. Uh, one of them was in 1950, and it was 2,800 miles. Mm-hmm. He went through mostly rural northern Argentina. And then he did another one the next year, and that was 5,000 miles. Um, it basically went through most of South America. Okay. Uh, he went with a friend, Alberto Granado. And um, he saw a lot of shit, basically. This is where he saw some real bad poverty Mm -hmm. and pretty much got radicalized by it. Okay. In Chile, he was um, pretty shocked by the working conditions of the miners Mm -hmm. in the, oh gosh, (laughs) Anaconda's Chuki Kamata Copper Mine. I did my best. You're starting to see him like, he may have read about this stuff and everything, but now he's getting like the firsthand eyewitness account. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he met a communist couple in the desert who, like, were persecuted and they, like, didn't even have a blanket out there or something. He basically saw firsthand uh, the latifundia system, which mm-hmm. uh, basically is the idea of, of landlords <laughs> and they're fucking over peasants. Yeah. And, um, you know, just how that caused so much poverty. And, yeah, it was, it was not a good situation. He also volunteered in a leper colony, and that's kind of crazy that there is a leper colony. So, okay. Uh, yeah, the Latifundia system, you know, it's like you said, it's mega landlords, usually absentee. They're not even there. They just yeah. own tons and tons of land, oftentimes foreign even, and they exploit everybody who, who works there, pay them barely anything, oftentimes pay them in kind, just in, you know, a, a measly portion of grain or whatever the hell they're growing there yeah or like don't they just give them a really tiny plot of land like this one's yours mm-hmm. and it's like on yeah. your in your off time you can farm that <laughs> oh my god like, cool i guess i learned to see in the dark because that's my only off time yeah geez <laughs> don't need to sleep <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah those were his big his big trips and definitely a big influence on like how he saw the world he just saw all that fucking poverty and oppression and it's not good, but he wrote into a book, which was good. The Motorcycle Diaries. I haven't read it, but <laughs> it was a bestseller. So other people think it was good. <laughs> nice. And they made a movie out of it, I think. Yeah, they did. Yeah. He basically saw all this 
similar stuff happening throughout Latin America and realized like, okay, all of this needs to change. It's not just one country. And he wanted to create a borderless, united Hispanic America sharing a common Latino heritage. That's pretty cool. Dude, yeah, I'm kind of into that. It harkens back to the dream of Simone Bolivar, who had this sort of pan-American vision that, you know, South America would be an, you know, like an it's like a country all yeah. unto itself sort of thing. Yeah. What I thought was interesting here, though, I don't know if this is just like the terminology failing us, mm-hmm. but he did say Hispanic America, and that means Spanish speaking. So, like, did he not want to include Brazil? Uh, I'm so I'm not sure precisely how he meant it because um, he didn't really at that time, tr- you know, travel to Brazil. Mm-hmm. He does eventually later in his life, um, but that wasn't part of the trip. I did find some quotes from him later referring to Latin America, which mm-hmm. that would include Brazil, I think. Yeah, yeah. It would. And he also had a quote later on referring positively to uh, revolutionary movements in Brazil. So I mean, I think he would support okay, cool. them being a He's part down. of it. It was just, okay. it may not have even been him who said that. It may have been just a biographer or somebody. Yeah, yeah. And that terminology is confusing and also ever-changing. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, so after these trips, he, he went back to school, got his medical degree. Uh, but, you know, instead of just being a doctor, he was like, I got to do some shit, man. That that was crazy. I need to do something about it. Yeah, he's... he. Changes perspective, and he's still kind of considering, like, maybe I'll do doctor shit, but his, I think his main mission here has changed, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's, um, like we said, he came from kind of a privileged background, and now having seen this, he's, it's sort of like that Eugene Debs quote we talked about where he's like, while there is mm. a working class, I'm among them and all that, um, is that, you know, while there are people here like this, like, I'm going to choose to be in their fight. I'm going to be with them, you know? Yeah, for sure. He got radicalized as fuck. Yeah. All right. So he does get his, he, he goes back, gets his medical degree. And so then once he's, once he's done with that, it's, um, 1953 when he finishes his medical studies. Um, and on the 7th of July, 1953, he sets out again, uh, this time on a road trip to, uh, what he, calls the Dominion of the United Fruit Company. He goes through Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador uh, before setting out for Guatemala to really get to the heart of it, of this whole Dominion, as he puts it. Okay. What's up with this fruit company? This fruit company, the United Fruit Company, um, is a monopolistic exploitative company. They ran plantations throughout South America they exported fruit to the United States. Super influential, super wealthy. They are like the reason for the term Banana Republic. Okay, not Which, just clothes. Right, yeah. Banana Republic referred to small Latin American countries that were overly dominated by the interest of foreign corporations. And specifically, you know, it's referring to play, like in Guatemala where the United Fruit Company grew a ton of bananas and exported them like that was the main thing and that interest like ran the country pretty much Jeez. it was all about their interests feels extremely petty to have a clothing brand named after that it's not a good look yeah that's like having one called like the middle pass <laughs> this is my clothing brand the middle passage yeah. that would not be good yeah that would be um that would be in the ballpark of tastelessness <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, so he goes up there and he goes to Guatemala and he's like, oh, it's pretty cool here. I like it. Um, their newly elected uh, leader, Jacobo Arbenz, is doing a good job. He's doing mm-hmm. some cool reforms. I like it. He's for the people. I'm going to stay here. Cool. The end. Yeah, and everything's great. Everything works out for him <laughs> at that point. Uh, except for it doesn't. Um, it turns out that uh, while he's there, uh, the United States backs a coup against Jacobo Arbenz. We are always pulling this shit. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, it's in 1954. It's basically it's in the middle of the second Red Scare and Joe McCarthy and all that. Like everybody's super yeah. anti-communist, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the uh, the United States starts suspecting that Jacobo Arbenz is a communist. Well, like it's not your fucking business. It's not your country. It's <laughs> yeah, you're right officially, but America since way back when. Yeah, the Monroe Doctrine. Since way back when in 1823, with the Monroe Doctrine, has looked at Latin America as its backyard. Has looked at the Western Hemisphere as it's you know this is ours we get to run it we get to you know we'll have some like provinces out there that we let our viceroys run but like otherwise it's our empire over here that's very bad yeah it's called imperialism it sucks it sucks i hate it okay so they they start looking at this guy's like he's a communist even though Jacobo arbenz was like a social democratic leader he was he was (laughs) just like reformist at most And he was openly saying, like, yeah, we're going to develop capitalism here so that we get some industry going, get some (laughs) jobs going, you know, and then we can provide for people. You know, I just I think everyone should after you're born, they should hand you a pamphlet explaining the difference between communism and socialism. That would solve a lot of problems, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Between communism, between socialism, between capitalism. um, Yeah. All of that. (laughs) We just need some basic fucking definitions. That would stop a lot of fights. Yep. Um, if you know anybody like that, just have them listen to the to our uh, our first episode there. You know. Yeah. Tune them in to the right source. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they su- start suspecting poor Arbenz, uh, and he st- basically starts pissing them off with the laws that he passes there. Uh, one is a land reform law called Decree Nine Hundred. Okay. Uh, which redistributed unused land greater than two hundred twenty four acres to local peasants. That's great. Uh, yeah, it compensated the original landowners with government bonds. Okay. And all of that made United Fruit Company super upset. I mean, if they weren't using the goddamn land, then like, what's the problem? Uh, well, for one, if you if that land leaves your possession, someone else can use it to grow competing products with you, and you no longer have a monopoly. You can't make as much money. Mm. You might have to compete for the wages of workers with those people, too. That's that's very bad. Yeah, they had a ton of unused land that was about to get taken from them. They, in fact, had 42% of Guatemala's arable land. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> and this was unused? Uh, not all of that was unused, but like a lot of it. A lot of it was. Jeez. Um, oh, my gosh. They had 550,000 acres in total, um, and they were making profits of $65 million in 1950. Like, they were the the thing. In yeah. Oh, my God. That's so insane. This law targets them. Uh, and in a real power move, I think, Guatemala offered them $627,000 in compensation for all the land they were going to take from them. 
uh, because this was that's because this was how much the United Fruit Company claimed the land was worth <gasps> for tax purposes. Oh my god, that's pretty juicy. So they were all like, oh, yeah, we got all this shitty land. Like, please don't tax us a lot. It's not worth anything. And they're like, cool, yeah, it's not worth anything. Here's some money for your worthless land. I would love to do that to Amazon. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they, you know, they're caught in their lie. They get get on the phone with their big brother in the U.S. State Department uh, to try to convince them that uh, please go talk to the government and tell them that our land is actually worth Fifteen million dollars. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so yeah, I read about this. This State Department guy. Ooh, he yeah. was on the board of this company. That seems like it should be illegal, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. Th- there, there are so many ties there. He, John Foster Dulles, is the guy you're talking yes. about, Secretary of State. Uh, his law firm had uh, United Fruit Company as a client. That seems bad. He was a major stockholder in the company. Also bad. And. In general, this guy was like a piece of shit. He was uh, <laughs> a conservative Republican, staunch anti-communist. Uh, he supported the 1953 coup that overthrew Mohammad Mossadegh in Iran. Okay. Um, and, of course, this coup, he supports it as well. <laughs> He's later going to go on and try to start Vietnam like 10 years earlier, saying that we Jeez. should we should help fight help the French keep it as a colony. Like, he's a jerk. Oh, my God. His brother was CIA director Alan Dulles. Oh, good. That's a good combo. Yeah, he was on the board of United Fruit Company, and he was oh, also gosh. an asshole. Head of the CIA, so like inherently evil. Uh, <laughs> he oversaw those coups in Iran, in Guatemala. Uh, he also later on uh, is in charge of the insane CIA mind control program, MK Ultra. Oh, no. Uh, and later on, we'll talk about the Bay of Pigs invasion, which he's yeah. in charge of, too. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so I know, I mean, this president aside, you're supposed to divest if you're president, like, of any, like, businesses you're into, right? Um, It's more of a modern thing. <laughs> uh, oh, earlier okay. presidents really didn't do that because they weren't, it wasn't such a investment-heavy thing, I guess, or it yeah. wasn't, also, it just wasn't seen as, like, necessary. Mm-hmm. Which is insane. And everyone knew you were a rich guy. And cared yeah. It's only really after Nixon, who was so corrupt that everybody started caring, <laughs> like, hey, we got to make sure these guys are not so corrupt. You know? Okay. So, I mean, that's the, that's the presidency, which is obviously different than this. But, like, it seems like there should be some fucking ground rules for this. This is insane. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, oh, my but God. They do- <laughs> Well, they they decide to they decide to do it, you know. That he's he's possibly communist. He's messing with their important company that they all love. So the fruit company, United Fruit Company, starts lobbying the U.S. government to do something about the land reform. Okay, what they do, and they eventually the CIA ends up convincing uh, President Truman to support a coup in 1952, which like fails before it really starts like someone okay. in the state department finds out about it and they're all like oh just kidding never mind we weren't trying to do a coup <laughs> um, and so then later on they they put together the coup in 1954 you could do a whole episode on just this thing of course but yeah basically they fuck it up a lot like there's a lot of bumbling <laughs> and it barely works uh it's like surprising that this coup actually ends up working wow but they're able to put in place a puppet of the CIA, uh, Castillo Armas. Okay. Arbenz gets exiled. 
he's laid, he later dies in obscurity after a long campaign of, C, of CIA harassment and everything. Oh. But yeah, uh, they overthrow the government there in Guatemala, 1954. Okay. And so, yeah, Castillo Armas came to power at the, uh, at the head of a military junta. Okay, so I've heard this term before. Mm-hmm. What is a junta? So a junta can be a military one or just like a political group, but it's like a small group that rules a country, usually after taking, a con- taking power by force. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, a dictatorship, but like three guys, five guys, whoever. Okay. The main thing, though, about the, about the coup in Guatemala in 1954, uh, in terms of its effects on Che, uh, is that it convinces him that communism could only be brought about through an armed revolution. Mm, okay. He tried to get involved with, with um, the movement there, but, like, nobody was doing anything. Everybody was kind of like, waiting to see and all that. Um, he argued for resisting this coup and fighting back, you know, heading out to the countryside and fighting a, fighting a resistance campaign. Yeah. And he argued so hard for this, that the, that the coup orchestrators put him on their kill lists. Uh, they were Jeez. like, get, you know, assassinate this dude. Uh, he had to actually flee the country at the end of this coup because he was, you know, marked for death. Yeah. Uh, but basically, yeah, he saw in Guatemala that even though Jacobo Arbenz had tried to pursue this sort of reformist democratic socialist path, the U.S. would go to any lengths to quash that. Jesus, that's pretty bad. Another cool point about Guatemala, Guatemala is that this is where he gets his nickname, Che. I love his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, that's a filler word in uh, Argentine Spanish, so... It's kind of, it's, it's versatile because it can mean like, like man, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. like, hey man, mm-hmm. or, uh, it can mean like, right. Like mm. you could be explaining something, you know, uh, you explaining some sort of concept and say, che at the end, like, che, yeah, know, yeah. Like, That's so cute. I love it. And he used it so much in his conversations with people that it, people started calling him che. You know, kind of oh. making fun of him. And classic move, he takes it as his nickname. Oh, I love it. He's got a verbal tick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that gets us to his exile. He has to leave. He goes to Mexico City, lives there for a Hell couple yeah. years. Love Mexico City. Yeah. He was working in hospitals, lecturing on medicine at their uh, national university there, UNAM. Mm-hmm. He worked as a news photographer. He was just kind of chilling, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's here that he's reunited with his friends from Guatemala. Uh, in 1955, you know, basically some other exiles there, uh, he gets introduced to the Castro brothers. Raul is who he meets first. Oh. And then he introduces him to his brother, Fidel Castro. Wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't know this guy was involved with them until until we started reading about him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Fidel Castro, two years before this meeting, uh, he had orchestrated a failed attack on the Moncada barracks in uh, Santiago de Cuba. This okay. is, that was on uh, July 26, 1953. Uh, and this was like supposed to spark a nationwide rebellion that overthrew the dictatorship of Fulgencio Batista. Okay. It ki- I mean, it kind of did ultimately, but like way <laughs> slower than he meant it to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like the beginning part instead of the thing. Yeah, yeah. So th- this guy, Batista, who he was fighting against, the dictator of yeah. Cuba. Yeah, what's his deal? He was an asshole. <laughs> okay. 
He was a brutal dictator, first of all. Executed uh, 20,000 people total in his... (laughs) In his regime, uh, a puppet of the United States, American companies and the American mafia even uh, were just like running the place, pretty much Jeez. doing whatever they wanted to do. Like this guy was incredibly corrupt as well. He yeah. literally had a golden telephone <laughs> gifted to him by uh, by some phone company or another for jacking up phone rates in Cuba. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Uh, eventually, you know, he's so corrupt. Eventually, when when the whole, this whole thing goes down and he has to flee the country, he flees with his wife and, and with anywhere from three to seven hundred million dollars in uh, American <laughs> oh dollars in fine arts and cash. Oh my god, what a piece of shit! <laughs> so yeah, that's who they were fighting against. Like yeah, I said, good, good idea. Nearly completely owned by the United States, oppressing his people, leading them through economic hardship. While, you know, this elite few is just partying it up in a tropical paradise. I don't understand. I I guess, do people just not know about this imperialism? I mean, like, I didn't know about it to an extent. I knew of it, you know. But it it just, I think if people knew about this shit, it would really change the way they see America as equaling freedom. Because, like, it doesn't. (laughs) Oh, it's bad. People barely have enough attention to pay attention to, like, the shit that politicians say that gets them mm-hmm. in trouble or whatever uh, in, in the general, in the usual news cycle. And the news cycle is not focused on what America's doing imperialism wise in the world. It's really not. <laughs> yeah. We really don't do a lot of international news here. Yeah. You have to like try to see. Yeah. You basically have to go to like BBC or like Al Jazeera or something like that's it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that, that was the regime that he was fighting against the Batista regime, Fidel Castro, who had done the uh, attack on the Moncada barracks on July 26, 1953, uh, which had sparked a movement that he was now the leader of, the 26th of July movement. You know, they liked the date, kept the name, okay. I don't know. I would have come up with a smoother name. <sighs> yeah, and that's kind of long in Spanish, too, you know? Yeah. It was originally just called the movement, but I mean, maybe there were other movements they wanted cooler. to distinguish from. <laughs> but that sounds like it's, like, clicky, like you gotta know. You wanna be in like, the Like, are you part of the movement? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a, a secret revolutionary organization. He founded this to carry out that attack, um, and when it failed, uh, he was captured, he was put on trial, Fidel Castro was. Oh, okay where he blasted the government in his trial, acted in his own defense. Never a good idea unless you're really good at giving speeches, uh, which he was. (laughs) He gave a famous speech that ended up being titled, History Will Absolve Me, from his closing line, which was, uh, go ahead, condemn me. It does not matter. History will absolve me, which is a badass thing to say. It's pretty badass, yeah. They did go ahead and condemn him. They locked him away (laughs) for a couple years. okay. And basically, they ended up letting him go because people complained. They were like, why'd you lock up Fidel? He's cool. We like him. So (laughs) they let him out. He immediately went back to the movement, changed his name to 26th of July movement, and starts starts getting involved with shit so much that the government cracks down. He has to flee. That's where they meet Che Guevara in Mexico. So bringing it back. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Yeah. So Fidel already had his hands kind of dirty with this, already was in it, and him and Shay, they meet and stay up real late 
talking about revolution <laughs> and everything. I mean, we've all been We've there. all done it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they take it to the next level, though. But it's a really good conversation, apparently, because that very night, Che joins up with the movement as their field medic. Jeez, okay. He was sold. Yeah, he's like, all right, let's do this. They then go and like train around Mexico City or whatever, do some like guerrilla warfare style training. Yeah. And you know, Che is like wheezing through the whole thing, poor guy. <laughs> uh, che gets married. Oh. A lady named Hilda Gadea. Uh, and then on the 25th of November, 1956, the group of 82 future revolutionaries set sail for Cuba in an old leaky yacht, just like one boat, called Grandma. <laughs> That's good. That's a good name for a boat. Grandma. Seriously. Let's all get on Grandma and start a revolution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and that's so, so that's where they go. It takes him 10 days and his arrival, this whole start of the revolution is very inauspicious. <laughs> they are immediately attacked when they cool. arrive on the island of the 82 expeditioners. Only 20 survived Jesus. that initial landing. That is most of them. Yeah. In the conflict, Che very symbolically ends up dropping his medical supplies and picking up a box of ammunition for there the fight goes. to come. It's like official. Yeah, finished. He's done with that. That he is now a yeah. fighter. He'll still do medical stuff uh, as time goes on, but he's no, you know, he is not yeah, a yeah. doctor. That's he's not his identity. Yeah. Yeah. Cuban Revolution. I don't think we want to get into all the battles and stuff. It's another it's one of those whole episode <laughs> things you could do. Yeah. I always skip over battle descriptions. I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so we'll hit the high points. Basically, they start out regrouping in the. Sierra Maestra Mountains in southeastern Cuba. They get some help there from a movement member who had been organizing during the time that they were exiled, uh, mm. called Frank Pais. Okay. Uh, and this guy was a Cuban revolutionary. He had taken part in the Moncada Barracks attack okay. alongside Fidel. Uh, and after that, he started organizing a group called the National Revolutionary Action. They started gathering weapons, medical supplies, money, and started participating in these anti-Batista demonstrations, just trying to agitate and stuff, you know, yeah. get things going. A much cooler NRA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. His group, uh, and eventually they're powerful enough that they start a four-day uprising um, in Santiago right around the time that the grandma arrives to help distract, you know, from everything that's going on. And later on, during the course of the revolution, he'll end up getting executed by the police. Oof. Okay. They catch him in a raid. They execute him. He's so popular that the workers of Santiago declare a general strike when they hear that he's been killed. Damn, okay. Yeah, largest ever demonstration in the city. But anyway, yeah, the revolutionaries, they kind of slowly build up their movement with, you know, Frank Pais's help originally. And they extend their control of the countryside with Che Guevara as second in command. He's like real strict about the rules and really can be kind of ruthless about things, I think. Yeah, man. I didn't like this part. <laughs> I didn't like a lot of these parts, I'm going to be honest. Okay. What what was your what did you think here? He did too many executions, which I think is one is too many. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know. I just, in his, just... his guerrilla war yeah, well, just in general, I guess. He just was, like, really fucking harsh. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was, um, I, I found some stuff that 
you know, basically from the crowd that's like, oh, you guys shouldn't like Che Guevara because, like, he's a murderer and he mm-hmm. liked to kill people. You know, they would kind of make <laughs> arguments like he was just like, oh, yeah, killing people yeah, like is sadistic. the best. Yeah. I can't find any uh, quotes from him from actual primary sources that are like, you know, yes, killing. Killing, killing is fun. <laughs> it does seem like he's ruthless. But I don't okay. think it's like he's trying to carry out the revolution as like cover for his actual best hobby, which is killing. Yeah. You know, war is never a good thing. Sure. I don't know how successful he would have been if, if they hadn't used executions of people to further their goals. They may have still been able to do it, but doesn't mean you have to support it because it's still killing people at the end of the day. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously... This is better than fucking Batista, but like, yeah, this is still bad. Two things can also be bad. But what if you're killing somebody who betrayed your location to Batista or something or tried to sell you out? Do I have to kill them? Can I just like put them away somewhere? Where are you going to put them? You're moving. I don't know. I don't know. These are the sorts of questions he faced. (laughs) So he may have made a different decision that could have worked. You know, he could have just brought him with him. Possible. Yeah. Or blindfolded them, hid them somewhere, you know. Something like, I don't know. There's probably ways to work around it. But I think that's something people have to keep in mind. Not to excuse, but just context, maybe. Yeah, these are crazy circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he was also very compassionate. He uh, believed in education. He was teaching the soldiers under his command how to read and having them uh, teach uneducated peasants that they would encounter along the way. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he uh, helped... their team like set up health clinics. They built like communal ovens for villages. They organized uh-huh. literacy schools. They were really trying to like, you know, win over the populace by actually helping them along yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. But overall, uh, a very brilliant general in the Cuban Revolution. Like people write about how, whoa, like how did he do this? His victories were instrumental in winning the war. Batista ends up, like we said, fleeing like a punk on uh, January 1st, 1959. Uh-huh. And uh, Che rolls into Havana victoriously the next day. Nice. Fidel shows up a few days later. They join in in the celebrations. A little personal note in Che Guevara's life here. Uh, his wife, Hilda, rejoins him in Cuba later in January. Okay. It is a, an awkward reunion. <laughs> because he has to tell her that he has fallen for another lady. Whoops, I hate when that happens. Yeah, so he has to say, sorry, <laughs> but there's someone else, Aleda March. Okay. Um, and so, you know, him and Hilda get a divorce, and then he marries Aleda shortly <laughs> thereafter. Uh, she was a member of the, of the movement that had, uh-huh. uh, fought alongside him in the revolution and everything. And he was like, dang girl, and so there we go. <laughs> okay. Which gets us to uh, his time you know, in power in Cuba, in the government there. Yeah. Uh, with the revolution complete, Che was put in charge of the La Cabana Fortress, uh, a prison. He was put in charge of that for five months, where people who had actively opposed the revolution were charged um, in revolutionary tribunals. So the people who were brought before this were like people who were accused of, you know, crimes like torture or murder human rights abuses, uh, war crimes of various sorts. They were soldiers, uh, police, the secret police, like the CIA-backed Bureau of the Repression of Communist Activities, or BRAC. Oh, okay. 
So real assholes. Traitors, informants, yeah. Uh, anyone basically accused of uh, counter-revolutionary activities, okay. this is where they ended up. In this and in other locations around Cuba, it wasn't just La Cabana Fortress, but that's okay. the sorts of people that they were processing through revolutionary tribunals. I'm going to guess that didn't go very peacefully. Uh, no, it doesn't. It does result in some executions. The tribunals are run by a few army officers, a judge's assistant, and a respected local citizen. Che's job basically was to review the appeals of people who were convicted through these tribunals. How'd that go? At the end of the day, people argue about the totals in terms of who gets executed here. Uh, but there are anywhere from 55 to 105 uh, executions at the fortress when he's in charge. Okay, that's way less than I thought it would be. Yeah, no, he's nowhere in the ballpark of like when people say like, oh, Stalin killed, you know, 300 million people. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, not, no yeah. one tries to inflate the number to that. with Okay, he's, good. He's just not in the position to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where they, and people argue about, I guess, whether this was a particularly heinous occurrence or just kind of the usual gruesome aftermath of a civil war. Yeah, yeah. I kind of come down in that camp. I it is gruesome and bad because it's a it's a civil war. Um I don't think that it's really like out of the out of the usual context of that. Um Yeah, I I think that's interesting that people focus so much on that when it comes to like leftist figures when they're kind of fine with it if it's someone else doing it. <laughs> yeah, no one complained when we hanged um people after the after World War II and, and the Nuremberg trials. We exactly, hanged people yeah. after that and yeah. They deserved it. I don't know. Maybe For sure. not. They, they deserved it. On the other hand, I am against the death penalty, so it's like... Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I'm not going to say I'm not against killing Nazis, but right. I'm like, like I am not sad that they died. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I didn't personally do it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess I would still wouldn't support the death penalty for it, but once they're dead, it's yeah. like, well, I'm not going to shed a tear. I don't know. That's exactly. a side street. It's weird. Maybe. But um, John Lee Anderson, who's the author of what many people consider to be the definitive biography of our subject here called Che Guevara, a revolutionary life. He kind of synthesizes the views of, of uh, kind of the exile community, the anti-communist crowd, you know, and, mm -hmm. and more like pro communist views, I guess saying uh, I have yet to find a single credible source pointing to a case where Che executed an innocent. Uh, those persons executed by Guevara or on his orders were condemned for the usual crimes punishable by death at times of war or in its aftermath, desertion, treason, or crimes such as rape, torture, or murder. I should add that my research spanned five years and included anti-Castro Cubans among the Cuban-American exile community in Miami and elsewhere. Okay. So you're run-of-the-mill executions. Yeah, that's what it comes down to is yeah, if you executions. like executions, nothing to worry about. <laughs> I mean, you're good here. If you don't, yeah. then you kind of have to just, you know, say, well, was this, this, this is not a great part. Well, the thing is the people that, that point this out are usually pro-death penalty, so. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. If <laughs> You're, you're, you're going to meet very few conservatives who are telling you, Che Guevara, he was a mass murderer who, on the other hand, would call like the governor of Texas an ass murder or something. You know? <laughs> Which he is. I hate that guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So he was in, he was there for five months signing on death warrants. As one does. Yeah. Sometimes it, you know, you get 
talk about shitty jobs, man. Yeah, I was um, going to say, we've all, <laughs> we've all had a bad job, but that one takes the cake. Uh, then he ends up writing a law okay. called the Agrarian Reform Law. And this is May 17th, 1959. That law goes into effect. And the Agrarian Reform Law limits the size of farms to around 3,000 acres and real estate holdings, I guess, to like non-farms to 1,000 acres. Okay. The rest of which, if you hold more than that, uh, gets expropriated by the government, gets redistributed to peasants in small parcels or run as communes. Interesting. And it also forbade sugar plantations from being owned by foreigners. That's a good call, man. Yeah. I'm into that. It's pretty neat. I mean, it does lead to kind of chaos with the with production <laughs> of stuff, basically. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, it's genuine land reform. They are actually redistributing this to people, really pissing people off who owned that uh, land already. Yeah, yeah, geez. I mean, that sounds like it'd be a horrifying process to go through. Yeah. <laughs> In June 1959, Fidel sends Guevara out on a three-month tour to talk to a bunch of different countries. Okay. Basically trying to get him out of the country. Why? Because he doesn't want to be like associated with him. Like the government, he doesn't want the government to be associated with Che because Che is uh, a Marxist and openly about it. Okay, so is Fidel Castro not Marxist? What was he deal? I thought he was a big communist. So at this point, he was not openly a communist. Okay. Was he closeted? Or it's kind of disputed as to whether he was secretly a communist the whole time or if he like kind of grew in that direction. Okay. He didn't want to be seen as one for sure. Okay. He denied it all the time. He was like, no, I'm not a Marxist, <laughs> not a socialist, I'm not a communist. All That's the way crazy. Till He's like the most famous one now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, he eventually, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Comes out, but. He comes out. It's not till 1961. Uh, I think that he definitely had strong like sympathies to Marxism and was like basically a Marxist, you know, like a so a mm-hmm. revolutionary socialist. Obviously kind of he was unorthodox in that, which yeah. I uh, we we can't fault him for. We're not very good orthodox <laughs> Marxists really. Um he had a bunch of different influences, I guess. Uh Okay. But weird. Yeah, he was a cafeteria leftist. Um <laughs> I like that. I feel like that's what I am. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's trying to kind of keep it a secret and he'll eventually, he'll eventually leak it, I guess. But because he doesn't want like the United States to kick his door in like they do to everyone else. Oh, that's a good point. You know, he doesn't want to be the next Guatemalan coup. Yeah. We've all lied about being communist to avoid conflict. Yeah. There you go. Fidel <laughs> too. So he sends Che away to do these travels, to talk to people, to, you know, be a diplomat and make connections, basically. Ne- do some okay. networking. Okay, another business card. And so when he comes back, um, the agrarian reform was underway, and they uh, pulled a similar move here. Um, They start, instead of giving the landowners cash, the Cuban government tries to give them some low-interest bonds, kind of like how the Guatemalans had. Oh, how does that go? So the U.S. hated that. They were like, (laughs) no, you can't do that. Why? Uh, Well, it made them mad because the... U.S. corporations had been running the same scam in Cuba as they were running in Guatemala. The whole devalue your land thing. So Cuba, when they offered them the bonds and stuff, they're like, 
hey, yeah, we'll pay you exactly what, you know, the value of the land is worth, which is <laughs> way lower than what they wanted. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Uh, plus, bonds depend on trusting that government long term to pay you back, which they did not trust them. So Yeah. And then, you know, I guess the next question logically would be, why didn't they just treat them like they treated the Guatemalans? Why didn't they just try to do a coup immediately? Uh, they uh, did not think they were up to it because i mean you know guatemalans hadn't just overthrown a government by force whereas the cubans had so mm, yeah good point good point you wouldn't want to poke that bear yeah they they were going to but not yet they were not prepared yet <laughs> okay next up che spends a little bit of time as a banker interesting yes yeah, a very interesting uh, career choice for you know a budding communist <laughs> yeah not not usually what you go for traditionally when you're done with communist school. Yeah, at this point, an internationally recognized, you know, communist revolutionary. Uh, yeah, spent a couple of years as a banker. In November 1959, he's appointed president of the Central Bank of Cuba. Okay. Uh, he stays in that position till February 1961. So the story here is a little interesting because it's um, kind of an anecdote from Osvaldo Dorticos, uh, who uh, was the president of cuba at the time he was kind of like fading in terms of he didn't really do anything he was kind of ceremonial yeah yeah fidel castro had had the power there but he was technically president and he says you know there was a late night meeting of cuban leaders toward the end of 1959 uh, fidel looked around the room and asked for a good economist to become the president of the national bank of cuba half asleep che raised his hand and Castro replied with surprise, Jay, I didn't know you were a good economist. To which Guevara exclaimed, oh, I thought you asked for a good communist. Oh, that's good. That's very good. And, you know, that was funny enough that Fidel was like, whatever, dude, you're, you're in charge of the bank now. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's very nice. Um, yeah. Not a lot to say about this time period, really, because being a banker is kind of lame. <laughs> Boring. You know? I mean, he had to deal with, like, nationalizing the bank. I guess that was hard. That sounds annoying, yeah. The main thing that people know it for, though, is when it came time to provide a signature that would go on all the money, mm -hmm. uh, he signed it Che. That was it. I love it. Just a stylized Che. And it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it was cool. Well, it horrified all the losers who were like, you know, it's de classe to do something this, you know, this trashy to something as sacred as money. But like. Oh, my God. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Money's stupid. Draw a dick on it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funnier. In my currency, it would be well, that's, Dicktopia. Well, that's true. Yeah, we run the Dick Commune, so. Yeah. Dicks on the walls and on the money. Yep, that's our <laughs> slogan. <laughs> Dicks everywhere. Uh, which, why are people using money? Uh, anyway. <laughs> it, they're like kudos, basically. Like, if someone does you a solid, you'll just, just be like, oh, thanks. Yeah, you just give them a congratulatory 20. Yeah, it's like a compliment. Uh, all right, so next up, in on March 4th, 1960, uh, a ship exploded in Havana okay. Harbor, Harbor uh, a ship called La Cubre. It's probably pronounced differently because it's French. It was a French freighter. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and it killed lots of people, 76 people killed in this blast, Jeez. injured hundreds more. Che had to personally go out. The, he, he went out there, drove, drove out there to give people first aid at the blast uh -huh. site. The... Cuban government blamed the blast on the CIA. Did they do it? I could not find evidence that they did or that they did not. Do we know who did? No, not really. They, I the mean, fuck? they were transporting like they were, there were grenades 
on this. So it could have just been okay. that blowing up, but no one really knows for sure. It's not. Okay. I, I, mm, the reason that I'm skeptical that it was the CIA is that nothing comes after it. It's just blowing up a ship, which is mean. Yeah, yeah. That seems kind of small potatoes. But it doesn't seem like it's going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So no one knows who, you know, how that happened. Uh, it could have been That's the CIA. Scary. It could have not. Unsolved Mysteries. It was uh, at the memorial service for the victims of that uh, explosion that the famous photograph we mentioned at the top of the show uh, was taken. Uh, mm. Rio Heroico. Mm. That's the Che's face on a t-shirt yeah, picture. Yeah, the Hawkeye picture. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to mention was the literacy campaign. This is also in the early days of the new Cuban government. Che was the main force behind the Cuban literacy campaign, which started in April of 1961 and ended uh, on December 22nd, 1961. Nice. Very brief, right? That's a, that's a short window of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Cuban government was dedicated to making 1961 the year of education. Oh, that sounds nice. Uh, it was pretty cool. They trained literacy brigades is what they called them, of uh, adults and students who went out and they built schools and they taught people how to read and write. That's awesome. I would love a literacy brigade right now. It's a crazy thing. I remember it may have been in this campaign or a previous one, Bernie Sanders took a bunch of shit for saying like, hey, when Castro took power, what did he do? He he did all this education. Yeah, I remember that. You know, he did a literacy campaign and stuff. And people were like, how could you praise Castro? Like, he's a communist. He's killed 30 million people. Um, oh my god! And, but he also did a literacy brigade. So yeah, and 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 this is, <laughs> man, this is good stuff. So like, uh, they start at a seventy-seven percent overall literacy rate. Not bad oh. given the conditions yeah. of the time. Uh, but there were huge disparities in terms of uh, rich and poor, urban and rural, men and women. Right. Okay. They end up after that short campaign ninety-six percent. One Holy year. Shit. In a year. Yeah. Not even full year. A year, though. 96%. That's insane. They build 817 literacy centers across the country. They teach 707,000 adults to read and write. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a massive uh, undertaking. They have all volunteer brigades uh, trained by actual teachers. You had regular folks, workers, holding classes for their co-workers after hours. You had people teaching their neighbors and their families at home. You had workers who got paid to go out to the countryside, remote locations. Um, you even had school children. They let them out early for the summer, ages 10 to 19. They let them out early for the summer so they could go volunteer in the literacy campaign and go and teach people uh, how to read and write. That's amazing. That's like crazy. just having that much national solidarity on one like mission. Like we are That's going really to cool. get this done. Yeah. Uh, over half the volunteers were women. It leads to a a surge in people going into teaching after that. Fuck yeah. So yeah, it's a huge undertaking. Che was the one who was kind of behind getting that going. That's great. Cause he had taught his soldiers how to read earlier. So he knew that it was important. Yeah. He was, you know, he was a nerd he and was he was a, a big nerd. time, you know, advocate of, advocate of education. That's awesome. All right. So once Che was done playing banker, uh, he was appointed as minister of industries for Cuba. What does that mean? February 1961 to April 1965. So he's kind of like in charge of the economy, basically. Okay. He's the economy czar. 
That doesn't sound as sexy. <laughs> che tried to quickly transform the country along socialist lines. He wanted to eliminate inequality, nationalize businesses, provide things like housing, health care, and employment for everyone. You know. That sounds it. good. I'm on board. Yeah. Um, to do so, he focused on this kind of weird concept of his called El Hombre Nuevo. Okay. The new man. All right. I read a little about this. It seemed a little weird. It, it is. Um, <laughs> he wanted to basically to develop people to be selfless, uh, cooperative, obedient and hardworking, gender blind and incorruptible, non-materialistic and anti-imperialist. So I like most of those things. Yeah. <laughs> what? Hold on. Let me see the list. I don't like the obedient part. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> That's the only part I don't like. I think the rest of that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's. I understand why they need it right now, because it's like, guys, we all got to fucking work together. But like, I don't know. It just. Mm hmm. I think the only reason it concerns me is that plus his past uh, executions and harshness, mm -hmm. you know, that that just it's a red flag for me. OK, you think it's too authoritarian? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would I would kind of draw a parallel here uh, between this and the Russian Revolution in terms mm -hmm. of how the origins of the party, the origins of the you know revolutionary movement kind of come to shape the way that that party governs when in power. Yeah. And we talked about the Bolsheviks and everything being secret organ, you know, a secret organization cards held close to the chest. Um, you know, not liking outsiders being paranoid about stuff that all translates over into once they're in power, they kind of still operate as that almost as that secret organization still keeping. Cause that's what they know. Yeah. yeah. In, Cuba, when you, where you have this revolutionary guerrilla movement, um, it requires, you know, tough discipline. It requires people following orders, everybody being on the same page, do, you know, doing everything oh, without question. You know, everybody's yeah, got everybody's yeah. backs fighting for each other, cohesive unit. That ends up translating into their governance style. You see it with even with the literacy program that we liked. They were called brigades. You know, it was that's true. It was very. Yeah, militarist. They weren't carrying guns or anything, but like, you know, it was it was mm -hmm. regimented. Um, it was volunteer, but it was still, you know, along what if those they were lines. carrying guns? Yeah. Learn to read or else. <laughs> read or die. Um, <laughs> read or die. So, uh, yeah, I guess I, I could definitely see that criticism uh, being valid for sure. There is an authoritarian streak there. Yeah, not my um, thing. He wanted to get... Cuban attitudes toward work, toward individualism, toward race, toward women out of the past and into the future. Okay. You know, like you said, aside from the obedient thing, like pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can buy goal. it. Uh, but like, kinda, if, if that has to happen for the rest of it to happen, then okay. <laughs> well, I think the way it's implemented ends up a challenge, but we'll, we'll kind of see. So like, he focuses kind of on morality and for Che, like he saw material incentives, money you know, mm -hmm. as a moral, uh, a vestige of capitalism to be done away with and replaced with this new man concept of self-sacrifice, just selflessness. Do it because, you know, work and help society because it helps society, not because you're going to get paid. 
you know. Uh, yeah. One of the things he does as a result of that um, is he abolishes pay increases uh, for workers who exceed their quotas and replaces it with a congratulations certificate. <laughs> that sucks. I don't like it. So not a great idea. You can imagine that there no. are not that many workers who exceed their quota during that time. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> What's the fucking point? Uh, and well, that's okay. So that's Jay's argument is that you shouldn't be thinking like that. You shouldn't be thinking, what's the point? Am I not going to get money? You should be in this for the revolution. You should be in this for no, your fellow man. You should be in this for helping everybody else. I understand that, but this doesn't seem very pro-worker. Workers should be pro-society, would be the counter mm. This is pro-everyone. It is pro-worker. It is pro-peasant. Uh, it's pro-everybody in the country. I mean, I guess. It's still a bummer. That was people's reaction as well. And <laughs> honestly, I'm kind of skeptical of it in terms of its efficacy here. I can mm-hmm. see where he's coming from because later on he kind of articulates it a little better. He's criticizing the Soviet Union later in his life and he's saying that they've forgotten Marx. Um, they're doing incrementalism. They need to change people's consciousness toward work. He wanted to eliminate money and interest in the market economy altogether the law of value altogether that's kind of what he's his project here i mean that sounds great but like in the meantime i just don't think you can go straight to not fucking paying people enough especially like a a poverty stricken country you know it's one thing if it's like if they had otherwise comfortable lives and like assets you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying like i feel like it would be a different story so the pay bonus thing that was a bonus like a merit to pay sort of thing okay that wasn't i mean true. they're still okay he's still paying people yeah no he's not saying you don't get paid <laughs> but on the other hand he is saying like we don't want to pay people stuff anymore like he wants to do away with money by socially providing things instead he wants to just i mean like we, we all do <laughs> yeah like we've talked about is you know decommodifying things and yeah providing that's true them socially and just saying yeah you don't have to pay for that anymore you don't need this much money anymore um he wanted to instead of uh, instead of markets just do that you know uh, allocate resources as a society to directly satisfy human needs okay i i think i'm struggling with some of like we talked about before the obedience part and then i think i don't i think making it moral is a little tricky for me mm-hmm. i don't know why i just I, I don't know if it's just the language of that that makes me uncomfortable but i don't know i got my head on a swivel um that i think is Definitely valid criticism. So then it's one that I share is it's seems idealistic. Now that's hypocritical coming from us who just regularly wax on about like, Oh, that utopian movement sounds kind of cool. It'd be neat. (laughs) You know, it's true. And I have definitely made moral arguments for communism before. So I, I, yeah, I am kind of talking about my ass here, but like the materialist side of us would say you'd need to better people's condition like before you do that (laughs) yeah you should just be working on making things you know making things as good as they can be for people living condition wise and but you know maybe that's reformist and that's what jay was saying was like you can't take these incremental measures but marxism looks at it scientifically usually and says like develop the economy until you get to the point where you can become a you know a fully automated luxury gay space communism (laughs) uh so that's you know ultimately that's kind of what chad tried to implement in the in the economy 
people sometimes blame him for, you know, ruining it, for making it terrible. <laughs> Productivity does decline, and the economy does have to end up being way more reliant on the Soviet Union, on Eastern Bloc countries and everything. Um, and they say, you know, it's because he tried to make all these wild economic changes, like, way too fast. Um, it wasn't the right conditions, blah, 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 right? Yeah. Do you think that's true? I'm torn. So, on the one hand, it may not have been the right time. You know, it. Um, I don't know enough economics-wise to know if it was the best option. I lean towards thinking it was, like, too much, too fast, given the conditions, you know, maybe. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. But I would also say that it's definitely unfair to pin all of the economic woes on him for Cuba at that time because I think they would have happened anyway. Yeah, they, it's not like they were starting from square one. They're starting from square like negative 100. Yeah, and that's because of the United <laughs> States. Because yeah, any yeah. course of action that hurt American business interests in Cuba, even if you go moderate social democratic style like our Benz did, um, it was going to lead to heavy sanctions, to military hostilities that was going to drive you to have to, you know, your economy was going to suffer. You were going to have to go rely on the Soviets and stuff anyway. Yeah. Short they were of kind of pushed just, into that. Yeah. Unless you were going to let the corporations and everything do whatever they want to let America tell you what's in which case, why did you have a revolution? You know, if you're going yeah, to Yeah, I think anything, that's the thing. Well, my point wasn't, wasn't so much that as that they were starting from, you know, being ravaged by imperialism, you know? So. That too, yeah. Um, <laughs> you are correct on that. You've you've got so much of your country dedicated to sugar production um, that you know you're already kind of set back so far. Um, so yeah, that's his time as the economic minister. Okay. Uh, not so great, basically. Things yeah, don't like go well. well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. then next up, you have the Bay of Pigs invasion. Okay. I've heard about this. I think I did a project on it in high school, and I've completely forgotten what it is. <laughs> All were right. there pigs involved? There were no pigs involved. It's just referring to like the Ugh. name of the, like the bay there. Okay. The Bahia de Cochinos. Aw, a little nasty. I don't know why it's called that. <laughs> so I don't know if there used it looks to be like pigs. Pig. It, yeah, it looks like a pig. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Etymology. In Cuban Spanish, cochinos may also mean the queen triggerfish, which inhabit coral reefs in Bahia de Cochinos, not swine. Oh. Okay, so it refers to a fish. More so fish. That's stupid. I liked it better when there were pigs there. <laughs> well, there are soon to be pigs there because uh, the CIA is going gonna, is gonna to be invading. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I don't like that. All right. Tell me about the Bay of Pigs. Tell me a story, Grandpa. All right. So on April 17th, 1961, the United States did something really stupid. <laughs> okay. They sent 1,500 Cuban exiles that they had trained to try to invade Cuba and spark an uprising against the government. Jeez. Okay. Basically do a reverse Castro, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out Castro, Castro. Okay. This was called the Bay of Pigs invasion. Uh, the problem was that Cuba was ready for them. Well, okay. And they fought back. <laughs> uh, people supported Castro. They were not interested in the, in these losers coming back and, and overthrowing <laughs> Castro because they liked what he was doing. They liked the land yeah. reform. They liked the literacy campaign, the education reforms, um, all that. Makes sense. It was good. It was like tough, but it was what they wanted the to try to do. It. Yeah. That's the thing at the end of the day, like people paint it as this like 
dictatorship, but it sounds like people are on board. Yeah, and especially then, you know, especially in the in the earliest days of the revolution, mm-hmm. everyone's lived through Batista, and they know what it was like, and this is far better, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Cubans fight back. People support Castro against this foreign invasion bullshit. Um, there is no uprising. And uh, when other countries find out about the invasion too quickly, and they start asking the United States, what the fuck is up? What are you doing? <laughs> President Kennedy, embarrassed, uh, withholds air support. There was supposed to be like Ooh. the Air Force coming in and bombing stuff and whatever. Instead, he's like, no, call the whole thing off. You know, Without that, to help the invasion out, uh, with, with the Cuban army and the militia as capable as they are, Cuba defeats the invasion in three days. Damn. That's pretty OP. Yeah. Um, Che's part in this, he was the head of the instruction department of the army's like militia training program thing. He had a lot of jobs, this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Fidel, you know, like I said, they ran as a guerrilla movement. So he's just kind of given jobs to people he knows are good yeah. at stuff and saying, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you're smart. <laughs> yeah. You're a good economist, right? Oh, good yeah, communist. good communist. I love it. So he, he gets, a, uh, Che gets a lot of credit for how effectively Cuba was able to deal with the Bay of Pigs losers because, you know, he trained the militia that, yeah. that fights them off. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Overall, it's a huge embarrassment to the United States. <laughs> um, and to Kennedy in particular, it gets him super pissed at Alan Dulles, the CIA director who put this thing together, this shit show, uh-huh. you know, he's like, what the, f-? he fires him. Oh, nice. That yeah. was the fruit guy, right? Yeah, the United Friends Fruit Company fruit. board. His brother was the Secretary of State before. I feel like I need one of those like conspiracy theory bulletin boards <laughs> to keep <laughs> yeah, up with all the characters yeah. in this. There's a lot yeah. of them. Um, but the Bay of Pigs, super big em- embarrassment to the United States. Such an embarrassment that during a conference of the Organization of American States, the OAS, which was like this like American-backed international like organization, Okay. Uh, the countries of the Americas, basically. Okay. But okay. it kind of supported American interests generally. I'm sure. Uh, che, <laughs> during this meeting, he sent a note of gratitude uh, to <laughs> President Kennedy. He sent it via one of his assistants, Richard Goodwin, and told him basically, thanks for Bay of Pigs, man. Like, that helped unite the country. <laughs> things were shaky, but now things are stronger than ever. So thanks. I love it. It's so shady. <laughs> oh, that's good. That is chef's kiss perfect. <laughs> yeah, um, it's at this meeting he uh, criticizes the United States as a financial oligarchy rife with racial discrimination and, you know, racial terrorism, uh, political persecutions, and overall hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, ain't, he ain't wrong. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't wrong then, <laughs> isn't wrong now. Uh, no. He also attacked their proposal for an alliance for progress. Okay, what's that? Uh, the Alliance for Progress, this was a Kennedy policy started in 1961, and basically it was like trying to make better relations with Latin America with some money, some aid programs, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, they proposed to invest $20 billion in the region over 10 years, which, if you're wondering how much is that, is that a lot? Is that not? I mean, it sounds like a lot. It's about $10 a person. Okay, that's not very much. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, is that going to do? Like, here's a meal? Yeah, like overall, they were trying to help standards of living in terms of literacy and education and healthcare and wages and land reform, but they don't do much. Okay. And put enough money in it, basically. Yeah, yeah. And plus, they're not like doing big structural things like 
forgiving debts. When you factor in like the amount that these countries are paying and servicing the debts that they have to the United States, or when you factor in like the profits that are coming from these countries to American multinational corporations, they weren't the twenty billion. It was way less than that in terms of what they yeah, actually yeah. were getting net. Oh, that sucks. Um, so yeah, they barely improved anything at all. The Alliance for Progress <laughs> was ultimately deemed even a failure, according to the United States. Whoops. So. Uh, so Che makes fun of them for the Bay of Pigs thing. Uh, next crisis that they had was a major one called the Cuban Missile Crisis. See, I'm going to look like a dummy here. I'm going to show my whole ass on this podcast. <laughs> I thought that was the same thing as the Bay of Pigs. Ah, so no, it was not. It was uh, far more significant. Okay. It happens from October 16th to the 28th. Okay. 1962. It's like a week and a bit. Yeah, and the world was on the brink of global nuclear war that would have wiped out at least a third of the Earth's population. Oof. Okay, yeah, that is a that is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were several ways throughout the whole thing, there were several ways that it could have gone completely off the rails in a way that would have led to a nuclear holocaust. Shit. Uh, so, luckily, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we can do a whole episode on the Cuban Missile Crisis. There's just a lot there. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah. yeah it's okay. Crazy. That happens. <laughs> um, yeah, that happens. The summary basically is that Che had made friends with the Soviet Union, and so he convinces Fidel to meet with them, and Khrushchev, the Soviet premier, Nikita Khrushchev, to meet with Fidel. They meet July 1962, and the Soviet Union says, we're going to put some missiles in Cuba. It's going to be great. And mm. Cuba was like, that's going to be great. We're going to have defenses against the hated Norte Americanos in 90 miles away, you know, and we'll have protection. Wow. So they okay. agreed. They started deploying nuclear missiles in Cuba. Uh, the Americans find out. They fly spy mm. planes overhead. They take pictures. They're like, turns out these guys have nuclear weapons right next door. Oh, my God. They get mad. Both sides start yeah. screaming at each other, threatening, or sometimes negotiating. They, you know, they alternate. Um, yeah. They eventually agree. Kennedy... And Khrushchev agree that a nuclear war would be completely insane. I mean, yeah. Uh, they agree that the Soviets would uh, dismantle their missiles and bring them back to the USSR. And in exchange, the U.S. would publicly agree never to invade Cuba. Oh. And uh, the U.S. would also secretly agree to remove missiles in Turkey and Italy. Oh. So... That way they wouldn't be so, like, right on the Soviet Union's doorstep. Yeah, missiles. that seems kind of shitty that they're mad about them being right there when it's like, oh, you have shit right here. That's what they told them. Yeah. And so that's why they were able to Good get point. that, basically. Um, during all of this, Cuba was caught in the middle. Yeah. And Castro and Che, the whole time, they're very aggressive about the whole thing. Yeah, I was reading about this. These guys need to calm down. Yeah, so some of it's exaggerated. Like, some of you can't find a primary source to a quote from Che talking about it would be worth a million, millions of atomic war victims or something. That's yeah. not, I can't find that. Um, okay. So that may be secondhand or, or what. Uh, okay. But he was, and Fidel was too. They wanted to be aggressive about the whole thing. Uh, Castro yeah. wrote a telegram to Khrushchev during the crisis. He called for a preemptive nuclear strike on the U.S. 
Woof. Saying that the Cubans uh, were willing to martyr themselves for world socialism, basically. Wow, wow, and you wow. said, do it. They'll nuke us all to death. We'll all die, but we'll advance the cause and we'll destroy the, the imperialist masters once and for all. I can't even. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> and, you know, Crusoe replies with like, hey, dude, are you insane? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um, it's insane. But I think that in in the position that they were in, the bluster at least made sense. Yeah, I feel like they didn't have a bargaining chip, you know, right? Because they were in the middle of this. They're kind of like the kid in a divorce or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like um, the Cubans, you know, like Che ultimately ends up saying that if if Cuba would have been in in charge of firing the missiles, then they would have. Uh, but you don't really know for sure if, like, he's just pissed because of the way it turned out or what. Uh, yeah. Because they end up feeling kind of betrayed by the Soviets. Yeah, yeah. They've been used, like you said, kid in a divorce. They've been used, like, as a pawn. You know, they're yeah, yeah, torn back and like forth. It. And the Soviets back down like some chickens instead of having their back, you know? Yeah. I tend to think that they, you know, if they did have real control of the missiles, they would have totally threatened to do it and may have pushed everyone to to act when they otherwise would not have now would they have yeah. literally pressed the button i don't Ooh, know i don't know they both seem pretty intense yeah i i don't know if they would do that unless they knew missiles were already coming yeah oh god but so they might hard. have they, they might have done it who knows <laughs> crazy stuff but god. he was there during that time insane we all you know everyone almost died that's yeah that's nuts so yeah so after the um Cuban Missile Crisis, and still governing as the Minister of uh, Industry. In December uh, 1964, Guevara visited New York City as the head of the Cuban delegation to the United Nations. Okay, this is when he he rips the U.S. a new one, right? He really does. (laughs) He condemns American imperialism in very strong language, and he predicts a wave of revolutions across Latin America. He says, those who kill their own children and discriminate daily against them because of the color of their skin. Those who let the murderers of blacks remain free, protecting them and furthermore punishing the black population because they demand their legitimate rights as free men. How can those who do this consider themselves guardians of freedom? I want to like tattoo that on everyone's face right now. Jeez. (laughs) Especially after this fucking week. Yeah. Ugh. He uh, meets with lots of important people there in New York, including Malcolm X, another candidate for oh. a future episode for sure. For sure. He takes a three-month world tour through China, North Korea, Algeria, Ghana, the Congo, and Ireland. Damn, dude. Just kind of going out there, making, con- you know, networking again, man, <laughs> making connections. Uh, inspiring people it sounds a lot networking sounds a lot cooler if you get to like fucking visit other countries when you're doing it it's not just like a fucking bougie bar in uptown dallas right and you're also like you know you know a well-known communist revolution yeah you get to talk about communism while networking sign me up (laughs) i don't have to talk about like innovation and tech oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so he eventually returns to cuba on the 14th of march 1965 after doing all this you know touring Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, he vanished. Okay. Disappeared, poof, gone. Now what happened to my boy? Well, that's what people were wondering. They were wondering, like, 
I mean, did he do that bad of a job as Minister of <laughs> Industries? Is he out? Um, did the Soviets want him gone because he was talking too much shit? By this point, he's kind of like pro-Chinese. Mm, okay. And this was when the, the Sino-Soviet split was happening. What is that? So, uh, this was an argument, basically, between the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China okay. uh, over... How to do communism right, basically. <laughs> okay, who's, who's got the better communism? Yeah, it started in 1956 uh, when Nikita Khrushchev, who we mentioned earlier, uh-huh. uh, made his secret speech, which was definitely not secret. Yeah, if it's a secret speech. <laughs> Everyone knew about it. <laughs> but it was called a secret speech because like, they kept it off like the official record or something. It was a closed-door oh, okay. meeting, but... Literally, okay. everyone, but everyone soon knew about found it. Out. That's great. Everyone knew about it. <laughs> In that speech, he denounced Stalin. So, yeah, friend of the show, Stalin, denounced. Yeah. I mean, we've denounced him, too. <laughs> yeah. <he's, laughs> he sucks. He's terrible. And that's what Khrushchev was saying, was like, this dude executed all these people. He sucks. He's awful. Yeah, he super sucks. Um, and China was like, dude, that's our bro. That's Stalin. What are you doing? Oh, what are you no, saying? China. We love him. China, no, you can't. And so... They, you know, they started beefing. They were, they were at each other's throats at that point. <laughs> China thought that oh. that was just terrible that they did that. They started calling the Soviets revisionists. And so the two sides started competing for leadership of the global communist movement. Interesting. They, they got into a stand war, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That division lasted a long time, only really starting to fade in the 80s. But overall, it kind of causes a lot of problems in terms of getting communist movements around the world. To cooperate with each other because now mm, you got okay. like hey are you a are you a maoist are you with china are you with yeah with the soviets like which side are you on and really we should all be on the side on against side. the capitalists but yeah that sucks uh, man that's like a macrocosm of what's happening in the leftist movement today you uh, know uh, yeah we're well like, what's been like... happening since we first kicked out the anarchists from the first international you know <laughs> exactly yeah this is a recurring theme is I, I don't know what the problem is. Do we just care too much? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's part of it. Yeah, just real passion about it and a focus on the details rather than the... I guess. Rather than the real goal. Yeah, yeah. I just It's so clear we have a common enemy. I don't know why we can't just put that shit aside. Yeah, that's it's definitely a hang-up. But Che disappeared, and people okay. were wondering what Did happened. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it turned out that he had disappeared to Africa. Okay, if you're going to disappear, sure. <laughs> he uh, left a farewell letter letter with Castro, resigning mm-hmm. his government position, his party membership, Cuban citizenship, uh, oh. and dedicating himself to fighting the communist revolution abroad. Damn, okay. Yeah, Fucking so he, went for it. He up and left. So that's like in late March 1965. Uh he goes to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. And that country was in the throes of a civil war called the Congo Crisis. All right. What's up with that? Well, it was, <laughs> it's real complicated. Yeah. It involves like two separate rebellions going on at the same time. Uh, but the U.S. and Belgium, who formerly, like, they were the former colonial masters of Congo, Okay, yeah, I was like, what are they doing there? <laughs> Random otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. They used to own the place, and at one okay. point, literally one guy in Belgium owned the place. The king Jesus. personally owned the Congo and turned That's it into a complete reign of terror, where he was just chopping off people's hands all over the place. Holy shit. Terrible dark stuff. 
anyway, the U.S. and Belgium back in the day had backed a coup against Congo's previous beloved leader, Patrice Lumumba. Okay. Uh, who's another future episode candidate. Sure. Uh, and in the coup, he gets assassinated. And so former supporters of Lumumba launched these rebellions in 1963, the Simba Rebellion and the Quilu Rebellion. Now that's a good name for a rebellion is the Simba Rebellion. Yeah, I would join the Simba Rebellion. Absolutely. Yeah, it turns out I wouldn't do very... No, no the Simba Rebellion does not end well, so I'm glad I wasn't yeah, able yeah. to do that. Che goes up and joins with the Simba Rebels. They're officially called the Popular Liberation Army, but everyone agreed okay. Simba was a cooler name. Yeah, yeah. That's in April 1965. So Simba means big lion in Swahili. Okay, wow. So Simba's name is just lion? That's yeah. That's not that impressive now. <laughs> uh, the army was made up mostly of mutineers from the official army of the country, uh, of okay. the Congo. Uh, tribesmen, young volunteers. It was pretty disorganized. Like, it was just thrown together, basically. Uh, and... It met with some early success. It was all right early on. And they got some help from the Soviet Union. They got some equipment and stuff to help them out in their struggle for freedom. Mm -hmm. But by 1965, when Che arrives, the CIA and Belgium were helping the government crush the rebellion. They were bringing in foreign mercenaries and everything to, to really do them in. What was the CIA's excuse this time? Fighting communism. They're not in Latin America anymore. And did we have businesses there? Uh, no, not really. I mean, you not had some like extractive industries excuse. and stuff, but not. it wasn't as much there. It was mainly to, this was now in the time of domino theory, uh, okay. where they think that if any country falls to communism anywhere in the world, you know, first of all, stupid phrase, falls to communism, yeah, but still, <laughs> from their point of view, if any country goes communist anywhere in the world, then nearby countries might start going to communism too. I don't know why. I don't know why they think that if communism is so bad, but you know, why would it suddenly start catching <laughs> yeah. on? But <laughs> oh my um, god! So they had to stop any potential <sighs> Soviet allied thing, like the Simba movement here, getting weapons from the Soviet Union, or the Quilu Rebellion, which was getting weapons from China. Oh shit! Wait, where's the Quilu one? So the Quilu one is in the same in the in the Congo as well, just in okay. a different region. There are two different rebellions. Yeah, that's right. At the same. So Oof, again, I need that corkboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically they were trying to fight against communism spreading in the Congo. So the CIA okay. was like, hey, we'll help you do whatever you of need course. to do. So they sent in foreign mercenaries to help uh, and basically helped crush this rebellion. It was almost dead by the time that Che Guevara arrives. Yeah. He shows up with 100 uh, Afro-Cuban volunteers and he tries to um, tries to transform the remnants of this rebel group into an effective uh, guerrilla warfare cadre but it fails yeah i will say i love that he brought afro-cubans i feel like afro-latinx people get left out of history a lot and so that was really cool like i i know there have definitely been um examples of like revolutions in the past that have been like kind of exclusionary in that way Mm -hmm. so that's awesome oh yeah one of the big things in earlier just a back a little bit earlier was a it was education reform kind of hand mm-hmm. in hand with the literacy program che wasn't really directing this or anything it was just a cuban policy but it was um uh ending like segregation and which oh, had been nice. a big thing of the batista regime and really just any time before but they were ending 
segregation in the newly nationalized um, schools and universities and everything. Very nice. Yeah. So yeah, Che gets there. Yeah, it doesn't go well. <laughs> fails to get this rebellion going again. It's just incompetence. It's just not working together, infighting. Mm. Everything goes wrong. Mm. He ends up leaving. Wasn't it like his radio broken too? <laughs> uh, well, actually, in this case, in the Congo, I think his radio was not so much broken as being listened into by the CIA. <gasps> oh, okay, um, never mind. So they knew everything that he was doing. Um, and that's part of the reason that he's not able to succeed here is that yeah. um, everything is being given away. Oh, that sucks. They had a listening ship out nearby on the coast. Real quick, listeners. So we often use Wikipedia as an outline for what we're going to cover, so I will have it open. And uh, there's, you know, Wikipedia links out to topics, and one of them is export the revolution. And can I tell you how scared I am to click on that for how much I'm going to be watched by the government? You are a co-host of an openly communist podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's too late for me anyway. I guess I should just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> My search histories, I mean, they think we're trying to start a guerrilla movement here now because of what we're reading Probably. here about all this. Um, uh, so, yeah, he he fails the uh, at getting the revolution, the rebellion going again. They have to leave November 20th, 1965. Him and the Cuban survivors of that end up leaving. He was going to send them back to Cuba for medical treatment while he fought on with the with the revolution and kept going, Aww. you know, fighting to the yeah. death. Oh, but he gets convinced, um, his comrades and two Cuban emissaries personally sent by Fidel Castro, uh, go to plead <laughs> with him to home. leave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he has to get so dragged out of there. Yeah. They He's destroy like, all their shit so that the government doesn't get it. And Damn. they leave. And the rebellion of course is crushed shortly thereafter. He spends six months living clandestinely at the Cuban embassy in Tanzania uh, and a Cuban safe house in Prague. Basically, he's like too embarrassed about his defeat to go back is what it feels Aww. like. Like he's like real low at this point, you know, poor guy. He's like writing drafts of books that he wants to write his memoirs on the Congo experience, all this stuff. He's licking his wounds. Yeah, definitely. It gets that feel that like he's figuring out where to go next. Yeah. You know, what to do, how to, how to bounce yeah, back. Yeah. Acts three. Which he tries to do in Bolivia. Uh, he finally gets over his defeat. He decides, I'm going to foment a communist revolution throughout Latin America. That's what brought me into this thing. This guy just will not stop. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> he is single-minded. He's, he's all about it. So he says, I'm going to start in Bolivia. And I'm going to make a communist revolution happen all across Latin America. We're going to finally realize that pan-American dream, communism across the continent. For those counting, this is now his, what, fourth revolution he's going to go fuck around in? Uh, yeah, I guess so. If you count the Guatemalan, <laughs> which is, he tried to get involved, and then you yeah, have Cuba, yeah. and then you have, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It worked he's once. He's got a hobby. <laughs> it worked once. <laughs> he's trying to get that, uh, that, that score up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the ratio. So, on July 21st, 1966, he returns to Cuba. He mm -hmm. visits Fidel, and he gets to see his wife and kids for what would end up being the last time. Oh. Uh, he writes a letter to them, like kind of leaves it behind, you know, mm -hmm. just telling him he loves them sort of thing. And the, oh. it ends with this quote, which I really like. Above all, always be capable of feeling deeply 
any injustice committed against anyone anywhere in the world. This is the most beautiful quality in any revolutionary. Oh, I love that. I'm like, damn, yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I love it. It also sucks when you do feel that way because you just want to cry all the time. But I do love it. (laughs) I think it's important. Cry all the time or you want to go join up with revolutions around the world. I mean, different people have different (laughs) reactions to that. I guess, yeah, I'm a baby. (laughs) So, yeah, Che does this full-on disguise, master of disguise situation. (laughs) He uh, sneaks into Bolivia disguised as a middle-aged Uruguayan businessman. Okay, can you imagine? He he was an economist for a while. He shaves the middle of his, like, gives himself a balding haircut. <laughs> oh, man, dyes willing his hair to do gray. anything. Yeah. He does a, a make under. Shaves all of his, all of his beard stuff. Oh, Wears man. these big glasses. Goes in there under this disguise like he's working for the OAS. Like, real... Full on, full nine yards. Full nerd. Real spy stuff, yeah. Damn, that's the greatest strategy here, that he became unhot for that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So he sneaks into Bolivia. Then he sneaks out of the capital, La Paz, out to the southeastern region of the country uh, in the Nakawatsu Valley. Okay. Where he he teams up with, um, I think she's like Argentinian as well, but the East German operative Heidi Tamara Bunkbeater. Uh, okay. A.K.A. her nom de guerre is Tanya, which is way cool. Oh, so, Tanya. oh nom de guerre. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, hey, you... I gotta join a revolution yeah, for so shit. I don't think you'll get one. No, I don't think I will. Uh, he teams up with her to start building a team of guerrillas to take down the government of Bolivia. Cool. How's that go? Well, not well. <laughs> uh, uh, damn it. Not again. The, the reasons for doing it are simple, like Bolivia is run by a right-wing dictator. Uh, called okay. Rene Barrientos. He's okay. like a, an American. You know, he's not an American, but he's a puppet of the Americans. Ugh, another one of those. Yeah, lets the corporation do whatever. You know, it's shitty there. Okay, who, who, what corporations are in there? I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch, but. <laughs> I didn't know if it was our friends, the fruit. To mining companies. I don't know which ones, but mining companies. Okay, okay. Famously exploitative. Yes. <laughs> uh, exploitative of people in the earth. Yeah. Uh, so this, yeah, like we said, does not go well. It ends up terribly. They succeed a little bit early on. They win a few skirmishes, but they quickly start losing and getting defeated, and it's it's bad. Ugh. They get rolled back and, and eventually trapped. Uh, reasons for this include not getting too much support from the local population. Mm. They were suspicious of foreigners, um, and sometimes they were even informants to the government. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, they also didn't get any support from the Communist Party of Bolivia. Wait, what were they doing? They didn't want to upset the Soviets, so they didn't want to help oh. Che because Che was in bad with the Soviets. Oh, that sucks, though. See no Soviet split, man. Messing Ugh. with stuff. Communists should be working together. Yeah, come on, guys. Also... Jay was like, oh, this will be fine. The Bolivian military, those guys are chumps. And he was right. They were chumps. Poorly trained, (laughs) poorly equipped. However, by this point, they were being helped by the CIA, our good friends, the CIA. motherfuckers again. Now, the same reason, I'm assuming. That's why they're there, to help companies and communism to to be against it. Yep. The evil spread of the totalitarian regimes of communism... 
Okay. We're going to take yet another country, and we had to stop stop those atheists from doing doing any of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they also didn't stop at just CIA. They also had U.S. Special Forces. They had the U.S. Rangers there with uh, their Jungle Warfare Unit training the Bolivian Army now. So, like, these guys were no longer the chumps that they were billed to be. Damn. Yeah. Um, so it turns out terribly, they get rolled up, they get trapped on October 7th, 1967, an informant gives up the location of Che's guerrilla camp. What a piece of shit. Yeah, the sad story is that Che had actually fixed this guy's kid's eye. Oh. Like he had some sort of a eye, like, problem or something, like a, like a, I don't know what it was specifically, but he had healed this guy's son. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... The guy turned him in later to to the authorities. Oh, that sucks. Uh, So Che's guerrilla camp gets surrounded by two battalions of the Bolivian military. Che gets wounded twice in the battle. He's down to justice pistol. He has to surrender when they all come in to get him. They take him, you know, they put him in their custody. He refuses all questioning. He only talks to some of the Bolivian soldiers there, like like small talk shit, like, where are you from, you know, uh, can I have a smoke, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he also talks to the school teacher at some point. She comes in because they're, they're holding him in this like schoolhouse. And so mm-hmm. the school teacher ends, ends up there for whatever reason. And he tells her that the schoolhouse is in terrible condition and that it's unfair <laughs> that it's so run down while government officials drive around in Mercedes cars. And wow. he like basically tries to recruit this lady while he's facing execution. <laughs> he's like, I know I look busy right now, but come on, <laughs> we'll be fine. Yeah, I know some guys, they're good rebels, you should join them. (laughs) While we're here, while I've got your attention. Yeah, so... That's great. Things don't end well for him. It's the 9th of October, 1967, when the president of Bolivia orders his execution. Uh, He apparently is very stoic about the whole thing. Stoic enough to impress um, Felix Rodriguez, who is a CIA operative there. Okay. He's like a Cuban-born, like like an exile sort of guy. Uh, mm, but okay. now he's in the CIA, um, and he was in charge of like hunting him down or whatever. So he was there trying to get some information from him on probably the global communist conspiracy or something. Yeah. But, you know, Che doesn't talk to him at all. He's just like, go ahead, you know, do what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. But he was impressed with how well he faced, you know, how bravely, I guess, whatever. I mean, someone's going <laughs> to die. I don't care how brave yeah, they face it. Yeah, what are you going to do? But, um, it's kind of cool that he, I guess, was not talking or crumbling or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't give up his buds or anything. Yeah. They uh, recruit a volunteer to, to shoot him. Jeez. And they tell him to be careful, don't hit him in the head, we want to gruesomely pose with his body later to show off that Oof. we killed Che Guevara. What the fuck? So the guy, you know, he is apparently only doing it because, like, three of his friends um, had been killed in you know, the previous battle or whatever. So he was like avenging them, but he was like nervous as fuck. He was like drunk trying to do this because he was like not ready. I don't know. I guess it'd be hard to execute somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Just don't. How about not? (laughs) You could do that, but yeah, you signed up for the army, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Uh, He reportedly, when he goes in to, to shoot, to execute Che, Che stands up and uh, tells the guy, I know you've come to kill me. Shoot coward. You are only going to kill a man. Damn, pretty, pretty good last words right there. Yeah, they were his last words. He's shot nine times. And Oof, God. And that's the end of his story. 
the rest of the rebellion there fails and he is no more damn that's a bummer yeah okay they uh they pose with pictures you know take pictures of him dead there they that's gross fly his body out that's very gross and they take him to an undisclosed location to be buried oh god and cuba of course went into mourning uh all right so what do you think well that part was sad um overall i liked the cut of his jib for the most part i liked some of his ideas i really liked the literacy program Mm -hmm. i really liked the um like some of the land reform stuff like i'm making a compliment sandwich here i guess didn't so much like the executions and like the ruthlessness and you know saying shit like yeah i'll i'll start a nuclear war (laughs) (laughs) even if you don't mean it like you can't just say that shit you know obviously there's consequences so i i think that's what i struggle with 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 che guevara is like i i like i like a lot of his ideas but like i'm unsure about some of the ways he went about doing things okay but i'm also like i don't know what the alternative is so yeah that That makes sense obviously i'm on board with the positive sides of it i think i would push back a little on the idea of with the executions or with the carrying on a violent guerrilla warfare campaign or (laughs) you know threatening nuclear annihilation or whatever nuclear annihilation i think is kind of a unique case and like just don't do that because no one should ever use nuclear weapons and it's interesting actually che was opposed to the use of Nuclear weapons from yeah, the United States. Yeah, didn't he visit and, Hiroshima? And mm-hmm. he was like, that was fucked up? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I think that he was not really going to support pressing yeah, that's the true. button. But I think that he would talk about it if he thought it was a good tactic. Mm. But he may have. And if he did, then I don't think that was a good, that was a good position to have. As far yeah. as the armed rebellion and the executions therein, I take a more lenient stance on it. And yeah. this is, you know, kind of cancelable because you really shouldn't promote, armed, <laughs> you know, violence and stuff like that. Um, All right, here you go. Everyone get ready to cancel. <laughs> I, I would caveat this with saying that I don't support such a, such a tactic in the United States uh, because I don't think it would be effective. I don't think it yeah. would be a, a good way of doing things. I think that there it's... It would be crushed in one second. Yeah. We're, well, that and we're fully <laughs> capable of actually carrying on basically a reformist, you know, a social democratic slow road if we want it, you know, if, if we can yeah. manage it, it's possible. Barring, barring the heat death of the earth or whatever. Well, yeah, that's true. Or, you know, <laughs> attempting communes and stuff, or just waiting for the balkanization and the, the breaking apart of the United States or something. But like, <laughs> there's different routes that we don't have to take. Mm-hmm. And this one is one a of them. A guerrilla warfare tactic. Um, I, I don't see a good route forward given the experience that Che had. And, uh, to some extent that Fidel had in terms of uh, their experience in Latin America. I mean, they only had a 25% hit rate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think that he took some shots where he shouldn't have in terms yeah, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Congo, it was almost done already, dude. Like, don't go there. Yeah, he was a little late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should have been there before. It might've worked then, but yeah. Bolivia also ill-advised people were people that he kind of told about it. They were like, nah, dude, don't do that. <laughs> this is not for you. But no, I think in in the context of Latin America, when they had seen someone try to do it the right way Mm -hmm. and get, you know, exiled, get overthrown and exiled. Yeah. That definitely weighs in in your calculations. Like, why should I go slowly and and 
get elected and just have people assassinate me. Um, and it doesn't stop here. Like later on, you know, in Salvador Allende's, uh, Chile, they, they assassinate him too. Yeah. Um, or yeah. not, they, they don't assassinate, but they, they storm the place and he commits suicide because they're going to go Oof. assassinate him. Yeah. That's a good point. The executions. They're bad. <laughs> I don't like that they happen, but I do. I'm leaning in on that because it's a time of war and yeah, you know, and ultimately that's biased. I mean, I'm saying that that's okay for him to do, but I'm saying it's, you know, not as okay for some right wing dude to do that in a, in some other situation. Like, yeah. Okay. That's biased, I guess. Yeah, for sure. But you like own your bias at least. Yeah. I I think that's, that's kind of a partisan take on it, but yeah. George Washington executed people in the American revolution in an armed rebellion against an empire. It's true. That is upheld by all the right wing critics of Che Guevara as good and a good thing to have done. Um, Good thing to have used violence against the British to, gain our independence yeah everybody is biased in that in one way or another every historian who writes that that was a good thing but you know the chinese revolution wasn't or the or the russian revolution wasn't or the cuban revolution wasn't is telling you they're biased yeah yeah that's true okay well i think i don't know you're saying like this doesn't apply the u.s i don't think it necessarily does but i am saying some not not the same patterns, but similar patterns. You know, no one's getting a, necessarily assassinated because of it, but we mm. are getting shut down at like every fucking viable opportunity. I, I feel like Bernie Sanders was our compromise candidate. Yeah. <laughs> and like that, that got mm-hmm. shut the fuck down. That was like, yes, can we please nominate a literal senator? Like one of a hundred people that you led into your <laughs> exclusive club. Can we yeah. nominate this guy? Yeah. Like that was our, like, come on, we'll, we'll try to work with you here. And yeah. like, they're not even willing to take that. They're probably not even going to take fucking Joe ass Biden. So like, I'm, I'm just, I feel a little stuck sometimes. I'm not saying I want to go start a fucking, you know, armed uprising America. Ah, but what does your search history say? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh no. I'm scared of guns. Trust me. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I do feel worried about what seems to be our increasing lack of options. So there's that. I think a lot of people are at that place where they are worried about it too. Yeah. I don't think we're quite to that point yet. I think that no, we're yeah. definitely at a low point and <laughs> we're to great. get worse. You're looking at closer to what you're talking about, I think. But there, there's definitely the chance for an improvement of renewal mm-hmm. of more social democratic tendencies, popular movements, that sort of thing. What people, I guess, if you're going to go that route, what you have to do, like we have mentioned here before is wrap it up in America and sell it to people, you know, <laughs> call it Americanism and go. Yeah. Lie to people, fool people into it. Do that. <laughs> but that is interesting what you're talking about with revolutions, because like, even if you look at the American revolution and then like the French revolution right afterwards, immediately America was like, nah, we're not that crazy. And it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you did some bad shit in there too. It's not like you had the very polite war. Oh, yeah. I mean, they terrorized uh, loyalists. I mean, people from yeah. America who were supporting they the British. They were tarred and they, feathered, right? That's why they ran to Canada. Yeah. Also, it wasn't unified. It wasn't that everybody was like, oh, fuck France. Like, there were people in the American government who were like, no, this is fine. They're chopping king's heads off. We hate kings. It's fine. <laughs> like, exactly. So it's just interesting to me that, like, that and then I think even when people talk about, like, the history of Latin America and... You know, they will definitely frame those revolutions as inherently more violent. And mm-hmm. like my head's on a swivel, like, is it because it's brown people doing it? I like, think part <laughs> there, I think there's a racial element to it. It's I think it's so the too. 
old state you know those stereotypes of like the hot like savagery yeah like the, yeah that sort of crazy stuff yeah mm. yeah and For like sure. even like slave revolts in in haiti kind of mm-hmm. have that same stigma too like i just think it's really interesting that only certain types of war are valorized and and legitimized by the group think <laughs> well yeah and by by american interests of, and meaning that the, yeah. the interests of the ruling elite you know mm-hmm. their class interests they want to frame things as as positive as, you know the american revolution is framed as this great you know advancement of the rights of man and everything that's that's what it's focused on, not as much the kind of ec- economic. Yeah, the taxes they didn't want to do. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. definitely, I think people, you know, people like Che Guevara and the Cuban Revolution more broadly and get that sort of a treatment. You know, they get a biased yeah. look. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting that, I mean, how many times we fucking say the sentence like, and then the CIA showed up. like. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I really don't think people know about that that much. Like, I didn't fucking know. I knew they did bad shit. I knew they were in Cuba and, and fucking around. But I didn't know about Bolivia. I didn't know about um, the Congo. I didn't know about any of that shit. Yeah. The, this episode was half about half about the CIA, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. They're, they're a villain of history. Um, yeah. Anybody who tries to get you to say, oh, you got to support the CIA. You know, they're fighting for whatever. They're not. They're... <laughs> It seems like they're just fighting for fucking American companies. Uh, yeah, they were and they are. <laughs> American interests basically translate into that. Um, into Ugh. you know, and now we call it like a supply, you know, supply chain or the global whatever supply or whatever. And we're still talking about the same thing. We're yeah, still ultimately yeah. talking about profits. Yeah, I think that having read a lot of Open Veins of Latin America, you know, it definitely started in these armed conflicts and then has kind of mellowed out i wouldn't say in terms of like the amount of violence that is carried out but it's now done with like how much aid are we going to dangle in front of you and like you know what kind of ridiculous terms are you going to agree to so that we can give you food and shit like that yeah yeah there's still so it's it's all polite now <laughs> right a little <laughs> more still carried, a little less stick but yes it's still there mm-hmm. Ugh. so yeah ultimately if you guys see this as a quite biased portrayal like we said <laughs> it is sort of i mean guilty we see this thing through a communist lens as a communist podcast so yep. that's kind of how it's gonna be if you want the other side go to any history book <laughs> any history book <laughs> I'm sure there are history podcasts out there that you know there are probably episodes on jacob are talking about the millions he's, he's killed um one thing, another point of criticism that really didn't come up in terms mm. of the bio that I was running through, um, but a criticism that the Che faces is mm, homophobia. Ooh, okay. Did he do that? He, I think, personally was probably like homophobic. I know in the movie he uses a slur for mm. that, and I think that that is something that Cuban policy did not do uh, well at all. Oh, uh, that sucks. It was really bad. Um, for a long point in its history, eventually it kind of opened up and uh, Castro, Fidel Castro had, did um, apologize, basically. He said, "Okay, that was fucked up what we did. I'm responsible. I'm sorry. That was in 2010. Uh, since 2019 or so, though, the Cuban government has been taking some steps to crack down on and start harassing uh, LGBT activists. So definitely mm-hmm. that's something that we uh, oppose for sure. 100%. 
Yeah. So it seems as far as in Che Guevara's time, he wasn't necessarily proposing like discriminatory laws or anything or policies towards <laughs> LGBT people like officially in the government, but he, he was against like it, I guess, or saw that it sucks. as bad. That's that a downside sucks. to him. That's weird. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Cause I mean, some of his, his like perfect man, well, I mean, very gendered language there, but he did say like gender blind, which to me implies like, you can fuck whoever you want. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think breaking down gender barriers is a key to dismantling homophobia and transphobia. Yeah. Um, so, I guess it could have been an ideological thing of like, <laughs> actually, he was in favor of it, but personally, he was still kind of bigoted Maybe, on it. Maybe, but... Um, I don't know. I didn't yeah. pour too much research into that because there just wasn't a ton there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In the movie well, too, but that would be a downside that I would not defend. For sure. So, for sure, yeah. Fuck that. The other part's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool guy. That's your review. Pretty good. Pretty good. Four, four or three and a half or four stars. Four stars yeah, for style. Um, very stylish. Very hot. Very sassy. I love that note to Kennedy. That was good. That was a power <laughs> move. <laughs> I mean, I think Shay would have said fuck the, ha- fuck the haters too, you know? Uh, yeah, I think he did. Definitely Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, there's no segment because this was a long ep, so <laughs> that's all you get. Take your knowledge and go home. It was more but, than enough, I'm sure. Yeah, but while you're at home, look us up on the internet. We are on Instagram at Teach Me Communism. <laughs> we are on Twitter at Teach Communism. Uh, you can write us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. You can send us a question, a suggestion for a future episode you can just give us compliments and say nice things. You can also say nice things on Apple podcasts. You can leave us a review and rating. Please do that. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll say about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next time, I believe we're doing questions and answers. We are. So definitely send us in those questions. Um, email. You can also DM us if that's easier for you. If you, hate email or something but yeah send us questions and depending on how many we get we might get to yours in a later batch um because we do already have some stocked up we do we've been saving them yeah precious gems okay cool i'm excited to do that those are always fun episodes okay well uh thanks as always for being a great student for doing your homework on the early life part thanks that was a pretty easy part thanks for doing the rest of the work (laughs) (laughs) anytime it was great i was fully immersed in che guevara um in 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 his life and times so it was fun it was good yeah all right uh well listeners you guys can catch us next week on another episode of teach me communism where the class struggle is always in session bye guys hasta la victoria siempre Ooh.